Okay, so we are in Isaiah 1, or Isaiah 18, uh, and we're at, to a nation tall, a nation mighty and conquering, whose land the rivers divide. All you inhabitants of the world, you who dwell on the earth, when a signal is raised on the mountains, look. When a trumpet is blown, hear. Okay. And I'm not sure if I am missing part of that. Do you have a, uh, it's not going back for me on there, but I think it's only... Because I think the next one just goes to 18. Do you have you have a hard Bible? Okay. Yeah, when technology fails us, we still need still need the books. You want to go to Isaiah 18? Because I think that this may not have included what's after. There's got to be something more than that because it doesn't tell us what to hear. You want it to? Yeah, let me see here. Unless maybe it is just short. Do you want that one or do you want a different version? Oh, no, that, well, this one's fine. This that one's that fine. NIV too. Yes, yeah, so all you inhabitants of the world, you who live on the earth, uh, when a banner is hoisted on the mountain, look. When the shofar blows, or is blown, listen. For Adonai has said this to me, I will look on from my place and do nothing, like heat shimmering in the sun, like a cloud of dew in the heat of harvest. For before the harvest, when the flowering is over, and the bud becomes a ripening grape, he will cut off the branches with pruning knives. Lop off the twigs and take them away. They will all be left to the vultures in the mountains and to the wild animals in the fields. The vultures will feed on them in summer and the wild animals of the fields in winter. At that time, tribute will be brought to Adonai. From a nation tall and bronzed, from a people feared and near, from a strong and conquering nation whose land is divided by rivers, to the place where the name of Adonai lives, Mount Zion. So this is, this is the, the oracle about Ethiopia. And I love the description from the people tall and bronzed, yeah. feared far and near, yeah. strong and and conquering nation. So then we go into a prophecy against Egypt. And, and remember that other prophecies talk about God bringing the righteous from all these places. So, so he brings the righteous out, and then destruction comes. Or as they're leaving, destruction comes. Or because they left, destruction comes. You know, when when the people who have the spirit of God are all gone. Bye, Dad. Bye. And Ethiopia is what again? Cush. Yeah. When it talks about Cush. So there we go. Now we have an oracle concerning Egypt. And I don't know if this is going to have everything in there either. Um, an oracle concerning Egypt. Behold, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud and comes to Egypt, and the idols of Egypt will tremble at his presence. Maybe because they remember him. Yes. <laughs> and the heart of the Egyptians will melt within them, 
and I will stir up Egyptians against Egyptians, and they will fight each against another, and each against his neighbor, city against city, kingdom against kingdom. And this did. I don't know why the program was only giving me the first couple of verses as an option. I'm not sure what was going on with that. Um, the courage of Egypt will ebb away within it. I will reduce its counsel to confusion. They will consult idols and mediums, ghosts and spirits. I will hand over the Egyptians to a cruel master. A harsh king will rule them, says the Lord Adonai. The water will ebb from the sea. The river will be drained dry. The rivers will become foul. The canals of Egypt's Nile will dwindle and dry up. The reeds and rushes will wither. The river plants on the banks of the Nile and everything sown near the Nile will dry up, blow away, and be no more. Fishermen too will lament. All who cast hooks in the Nile will mourn. Those who spread nets on the water lose heart. The linen workers will be in despair, along with the weavers of white cotton. The spinners will be crushed, the, the hired workers dejected. The princes of, of Zoan are utter fools. Pharaoh's wisest counselors give stupid advice. How can you say to Pharaoh, I am a sage descended from kings of old? Where are they then, those sages of yours? Let them tell you so all can know what Adonai has planned against Egypt. The princes of Zoan have been fooled. The princes of Noth, of Noth have been duped. Egypt's clan chiefs have led her astray. Adonai has mixed up their minds with a spirit that distorts judgment. So they make Egypt stagger in whatever she does, like a drunk staggering in his vomit. There's a picture for you. Dang. Yeah. Mm. Pretty image, yeah. Nobody in Egypt will find work to do. Neither head nor tail, neither tall palm frond nor lowly reed. On that day, Egypt will be like women trembling with fear because Adonai is shaking his fist at them. Just mentioning the land of Judah and the Egyptians will throw them into panic or to the Egyptians, will throw them into panic. They will be afraid because of what Adonai has planned for them. On that day, there will be five cities in the land of Egypt that speak the language of uh, Canaan and swear loyalty to Adonai. One of them will be called the City of Destruction. Um, there's a little note here that in Hebrew, it's a parody of City of the Sun living in the valley of the sun I find interesting because yeah, an unguarded sun is very destructive as we know this time of year yeah. yeah so on that day there will be an altar to Adonai in the middle of the land of Egypt as well as a standing stone for Adonai at its border it will be a sign and witness to Adonai in the land of Egypt so that when they cry out to Adonai for help because of the oppressors he will send them a savior to defend and rescue them so even in the midst of the destruction, the cities that cry out to him he will, come up will be saved. Absolutely. Um, Adonai will make himself known to uh, Adonai will make himself known to Egypt. On that day, the Egyptians will know Adonai. They will worship him with sacrifices and offerings. They will make vows to Adonai and keep them. 
Yet Adonai will strike Egypt, both striking and healing, so they will return to Adonai. He will listen to their prayers and he will heal them. Which I think it's... This translate well, and this this is not so much a translation when it comes to the Old Testament as kind of a paraphrase and and putting back in some of the original language, but there's this beautiful picture of you know it's it's it I don't think it conveys well, but basically he's there so that when the destruction is coming on them when they turn to him, he will heal them. It it if makes me think of the whole snake on the staff when Moses lifted it up and how the snakes were biting the people and they were dying. But if they raised their eyes yeah, towards right. heaven, yeah. then he would heal them mm -hmm. and they would live. So, so it's, it kind of is the way it's worded, the way that it's, that it's translated. It, it really has this feeling of like, God's hitting them to get them back in line. And then he's loving them when they get, and, and it's not. <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't. I just don't think that that fits with the whole big picture of what's happening. It's more that destruction is coming on Egypt, mm -hmm. and yet for those within Egypt mm -hmm. who cry out to him, he will heal them and protect them. So it's a it's a variation on his encouragement throughout all the prophets to the remnant in Israel, even when destruction is coming on the government and and the people. You know it. Even if, even if a government or a nation is destroyed, God is still there for the people. Right. And that's the difference. The people aren't the government, and the government isn't the people. And the, you know, the, the nation isn't the people, and the people aren't the nation. Just because a nation has moved itself away from God doesn't mean that he's abandoned the people within it who cry out to him. Yes. That's a good thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Amen to that. On that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Ashur. Ashur will come to Egypt and Egypt to Ashur, and Egypt will worship with Ashur. On that day, Israel will be a third partner with Egypt and Ashur, a blessing here on earth. For Adonai has blessed him. Blessed be Egypt, my people. Ashur, the work of my hands, and Israel, my heritage. And my heritage. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, but Egypt, Ashur, and Israel, basically those aligned with Israel. When you align, which goes with Balaam and, and all of his prophecies that, that he spoke, it was, you know, the, the nations that were aligned with Israel would be, you know, there would be those preserved from them. Are they still aligned today, they they have been at peace unlike any other nation around them. Okay. You know whether that will have a break or what will happen. I don't know, but they have they have been oddly at peace. Like people look at it, and go, I don't understand why. <laughs> I know because they got so much history. Yeah, the two nations got so much. Yeah, history. but they they are they are currently at peace. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then um, a sign against Egypt and Cush is what that one was called. And this is a short little chapter, so we'll, we'll toss this in there. Okay. In the year that Sargon, the king of Ashur, sent his commander-in-chief, and let me see if I have it in 
on this one. Because um, Asher, Assyria. So Egypt, Assyria, and, and Israel was that last one. So in the year that the commander-in-chief was, who was sent by Sargon, the king of Assyria, came to Ashdod and fought against it and captured it, at that time the Lord spoke by Isaiah the son of Amoz, saying, Go and loose the, lack, the sackcloth from your waist and take off your sandals from your feet. And he did so walking naked and barefoot. Then the Lord said, As my servant Isaiah has walked naked and barefoot for three years as a sign and a portent against Egypt. Okay, so now, not the picture of Isaiah that you get from most tellings of anything related to him. It's like, so for three years, Isaiah walked naked and barefoot. Wow. Kind of a picture, kind of makes me think of... Uh, John the Baptist. I was going to say that too. And the picture of him, you know. Um, yeah. As a sign and a portent against Egypt and Cush, so shall the king of Assyria. He literally walked around naked and barefoot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now the question is in his own home or everywhere? It doesn't really tell us. It must get cold. It must get cold. Well, he kind of lived, the prophets of the Lord kind of lived out in the middle of nowhere. Maybe God didn't send him anywhere with a message for that time. Yeah. I don't know. Something was going on. Yeah. We just don't have all the details of it. Yeah. Maybe like you, Lisa, you put the yeah. in your head, maybe he felt like that was something he needed. Exactly. Mm -hmm. and, and for that season, it was a message. Mm -hmm. Um. And, and it was a prophetic message. He went on for three years, and then I guess he got dressed. Yeah, you know and then he's saying? like, it's like Jeremiah, go lay on your left side. There you go. At the opening of the city for a year. Wow. And then he comes home, he's like, okay, I did it. He's like, now go do it on your right side. Yeah. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I know. But he did it. And then it was, you know, now start a fire with human dung and cook your meal on it. And he's like, okay, I, I have limits. Right. I will not cook over human dung. And he's like, fine, use cow dung. Yeah. Okay, you know. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Oh, hey. you know. She got big old box in her hand. Oh. Do you want to help her, Bill? What's she carrying? Come in. So, so shall the king of Assyria lead away the Egyptian captives and the Cushite exiles, both the young and the old, naked and barefoot. Hi. That's okay. I'll fill you in. No, it's okay. No, it's okay. Oh, oh I get a <laughs> <laughs> So, so we're we're with Isaiah walking naked for three years oh, and gosh. barefoot. <laughs> yeah, yeah I know. you came in at right at the right time, right? <laughs> I know. Well, yeah, I'm saying not really the subject of most sermons that you're going to hear taught, right? And like Isaiah did, go and do like what? No, do not. That's not right. not the point. <laughs> 
want to challenge the congregation. Yeah. <laughs> to walk like the devout of old, naked and barefoot. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. So, then the, so the Lord said, As my servant Isaiah has walked naked and barefoot for three years as a sign and a portent against Egypt and Cush, so shall the king of Assyria lead away the Egyptian captives and the Cushite exiles, both the young and the old, naked and barefoot, with buttocks uncovered, the nakedness of Egypt. Butt naked. That's the buttocks. That's right. Butt naked. But it's 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 really it's a it's a trail of tears picture. It's the exiles that have that literally have nothing. Are naked and barefoot and being led. Um, then they shall be dismayed or destroyed and ashamed. No, it is dismayed. I'm having a hard time reading. Then they shall be dismayed and ashamed because of Cush, their hope of Egypt, their boost. Their boast. Good Lord. This, pinch, this pinches my, my visuals. I've been having really lots of fun with this. Um, so, and ashamed because of Cush, their hope and of Egypt, their boast. Um, so Cush is the... Cush is Ethiopia. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way this is, they will be dismayed and ashamed because of Ethiopia, their hope, and Egypt, their pride. On that day, the people living along the coast will say, look what happened to the people to whom we fled for help, hoping they would rescue us from the king of, of Assyria. How will we escape now? So... Really, the yeah. How shall we escape? So there's. What is that in Isaiah? Uh, Isaiah twenty. Okay. Yeah, we were reading eighteen, nineteen, and twenty, and basically, you know that Cush is going to come to an end, but the faithful to God out of Cush will be called, and then Egypt is going to come to an end, but the faithful will be brought out. And, and there's this beautiful picture at the end of 19 of the faithful from uh, Egypt, Assyria, and Israel all standing together, having peace. And yet, you know, they're, they're going, the nations are going to fall. And, and it really, I really, I just don't think it can be stressed enough. The, the distinction that God makes between the nations, the gods of those nations, the leaders and governments of those nations. And, and there, is, there is corporate suffering and corporate guilt. I mean, when our government makes bad choices, the people suffer. And we all suffer to some extent. Because even if you don't personally suffer from something... You might be not suffering, so you can take care of those in your family or around you who are suffering, and then something else is done, and it, they suffer, and they help you. And, and that's one of the reasons why community is such an important thing, because no matter where you are, you need other people, you know, that you can help and who will help you. If You know, really, sometimes the difference between a person who's down on their luck and a homeless person is whether or not they have a friend who has an extra room or a couch. That's true. I mean, really, it's it's one of those things where, when, at a certain point in our lives, we were 
we were really concerned about what direction things were going to go, but we could approach it with confidence and hope because we knew we would never be homeless. Mm-hmm. You know, we because we had people who would take us in, you know, while we waited for whatever to sort itself out. And... You know, sometimes the sometimes it's really about hope. It's about you know, Fiona asked one time when we she was very very little, and and uh, it was after it was after the person on the side of the road wouldn't take my change because oh, yeah. she told me I needed it more than her. Oh wow! I I, I, I was like, oh yeah, pulled up very very pregnant in our little geo metro that we'd been given and it only ran on two cylinders and i had to open the door because the window didn't work and it chugged and shook and i was hugely pregnant and i was trying to model for my children charity so i was i dumped all the change out i was going to give it to the person and she grabbed my hand and turned it back over and said oh no sweetie you need this more than i do (laughs) and i was like Okay. <laughs> I got back to my car and I was like, oh. that can be embarrassing in a way, but it also can be like God blessed you back with being a blessing. It really it was. Humbling. It really yeah, was. And and it was and yet at the same time it was like I didn't think twice about giving it because I knew and, and that was that was the thing. Fiona had asked me around that time. But you said to yourself, at least I have a roof over my head. Place yeah. To stay. And I'm I have not, hope. I haven't I gone have home. Hope. Well, exactly. Yeah. And she said, Mom, are we poor? <laughs> and I stopped because I wanted to go, yeah, yeah, we are. Except I didn't want to say that to my child. And right. I, But I stopped and I said, God, I don't know how to answer this. Mm-hmm. And then I told her, no, we're not poor. Mm-hmm. I said, we're broke right now. Mm-hmm. We don't really have much money. But poor is a question of whether or not you still have hope. And we have hope, and God takes care of us, and, and he will continue to take care of us, so we will always be hope, and we will never be poor, or we will always have hope, and we will never be poor. But right now, we don't have a lot of money. Cool. You know, whenever I think about that word, because something similar was asked of me, you know, by my child, and I thought... According to the world standards, right, we're poor, right, because this is what they concentrate on: money and stuff, right. You know, so according to their standards, power, poor, prestige, poor, position, right, <laughs> toys, all the stuff, it's all the stuff. You can't take it. That's the world, right? right. The world don't see it. And sitting in your home or somewhere surrounding you, or driving the nice cars. Then okay, that's a poor person. Right. Yeah. But they don't have peace of mind and joy. Family, they probably hate each other. They don't have peace or anything. Well, and that's you know, my a friend of mine was talking about um, her son struggles with mental health issues and substance abuse, Um, and and some of the struggle that that he's going through right now is because once you add substance abuse to the mix, Mm -hmm. it's almost impossible to get the mental health help, even though that's why there's substance abuse is because of the mental health issues. It's, you know, and so, um, and, and it was, it all kind of came about in a horrible situation that involved not really having a proper diagnosis in the first place because it's very hard to get them. And, I, I last weekend um, 
went and saw an amazingly powerful play. Um, Bill and I went with some, some other friends, one of my friends from college. And um, while we're recording, I won't go into a whole lot of detail of her personal story because it's hers to tell, not mine. Um, but she uh, got connected with a program through Hope Lives. And I don't know if you're familiar, if you've ever, I don't know, no, you might, you might be more likely to be aware of it. It's a, is it local? it's local. It's in Phoenix. Okay. It's in Phoenix. And if you're not aware of it, you need to be aware of it. You need to let people know about it because okay. it's an amazing program. And, um, <clears throat> they are a nonprofit that the, one of the, the people who run it, just, he described it as they see themselves at the crossroads where, um, uh, incarceration, substance abuse, and mental health issues meet. And their goal is to bring people, you know, get people into their program and uh, basically help them get, help them access the right mental health care, help them to develop skills that will be uh, able to help them avoid incarceration and, and turn their lives around in the future. Um, get them access to treatment for, for their substance abuse. And uh, the play was basically for women. And it, it was another friend of ours from college had gone in and worked with them doing a, a play therapy, uh, like acting therapy. And uh, it was a 16-week program that... You know, she, she was saying they, like the first class, she couldn't get a couple of the women to even look at her to say hello. Like she would be trying to talk to them and, and she would, you know, she said, okay, let's, let's say, hi, how are you, you know, 10 different ways. And it was, was like, hi, hi, how are you? She's like, well, what if you haven't seen a friend for a long time, you know, and, and you're excited to see them? Hi, how are you? You know, and, and it was just that two, 16 weeks of therapy and two weeks of rehearsal later, they did a play sharing their personal stories that started in childhood of how they got where they were and, and what went into taking them not only to the brink, all of them attempting suicide at some point, to getting them back. Uh, you know, and, and to going, what led them to Hope Lives and what turned them around there. And and it was just an amazing, I, like just sobbing tears because it was this incredibly powerful personal testimony from each of them. And, and you know, then my friend talking about her son with this, and I, I, I told her, you know, about the program, but the thing that really struck me is she, she had made a comment about when we were saying, you know, can you get him into a day program? Can you get him into a, a, a substance abuse program? And she said, well, you know, the day program that's available is $465 a day and not covered by access. And because he can't get the right treatment for the mental health issues because of the substance abuse issues, Medicare won't cover it. Wow. So I found myself sitting there and, th and you know, she, I think she made a comment about 
you know, poor people can't get the help that they need. And I, and I started thinking about it and really it's not that rich people have less mental health or substance abuse issues. It's that they are more likely to get the intermittent recovery times that draw their life out longer. It's not that their life's less messed up. It's just that they can maintain for longer. Whereas poor people can't get access to the help that gives them that next chance, they're more likely to die sooner. And so, you know, when you look at statistics of length of life or when you look at statistics of substance abuse or death from substance abuse versus treatment, you know, how many times, when they count how many, how many people above a certain affluence level go into substance abuse care, does the person who went five times count as five people? Does the person who couldn't afford or access the one time not count? And, you know, more and more and more, I, I've been in just every area of life, I have been moving towards this, this just this devout belief that we can talk all we want about systems and groups and, and you know, this group or that group or, or those people. And it is all this incredibly irrelevant talk about hypothetical groups of people who don't really exist. And what exists are individuals who are hurting in their own unique ways, who are struggling in their own unique ways, who are doing well in their own unique ways, who have gifts in their own unique ways. And, and when you create community, it's not about being a group of people. It's about being, you know, or a group that represents some ideal. It's about being individuals who are there loving and helping and lifting up each other and caring for each other, bringing your strengths and your weaknesses so that you can, you know, can grow together. And, and I think one of the things that our society has, has done to the detriment of people is focus so much on groups and we've torn apart the relationships that people, you know, people who could be a community helping each other in their real struggles are often torn apart because of whether or not they associate with this or that hypothetical group. group. You know, it's so funny you say that because when I, when I tried to get sober in New Jersey for like two years, I kept relapsing. And once the Lord moved me into Memphis, Tennessee, the whole environment was different. And, mm -hmm. and I kept relapsing. You know, but they, they this, this facility actually dual diagnosed me mm -hmm. and with depression, anxiety, and besides the um, alcohol. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, they, they push on source that depression or the alcohol doesn't matter. They're both there. Right. And they treated the deep rooted of my childhood. They went to the site. I got psychotherapy, right. medication, and besides, and they also introduced spirituality with mm -hmm. the church and not just clapping hands. It was, it was church, church, down home church. Yeah. You know, and it, and it unified us. And we said, and when God put me there, I started a prayer group with the woman in the morning. Mm -hmm. And um, I ended up staying there longer than I thought. And I thought I was supposed to be learning something, but God showed me it wasn't all about me. <laughs> <laughs> God shows me that often. What's I up know, with that? Every day. 
ended up um, like, and then they, some of the guys started coming to trip with us on Sunday, and five people got saved before I left there. That's and awesome. Then, yeah, but, but see, that's and that's the thing when you're dealing with people, you are that that's reality. Everything else is hypothetical. You know, when because when people talk and, and I and I don't wanna talk about I, I, I don't I I'm not saying this to talk about politics, so I, I'm trying not to use any particular group as my example because everyone is doing it. So it's I'm not trying to single anyone out. Um but Groups, you know, this group dismisses that group because those people think or those people believe or all those people do. And you can only, you can only, do what? Right, right. It's hyperbole. And it's hypothetical because you can't really believe that if you were to get to know those people. Because not every one of them thinks, does, feels, believes all the same things. And usually very little at all resemblance to what you thought about them. Which is, which our, our country and the way that we approach things allows this really bizarre cognitive dissonance where you can believe things about a group while interacting differently with the people of it. Because... Most of the people who will talk about those people in these hateful, horrible, ugly, shocking ways, and it happens on on every side of the issue, so again, not singling any group out, but they don't interact that way with people, Right. which is partly why any label that gets put on them they reject because in their personal interactions, well, I don't treat people differently. But in their rhetoric, they talk about groups horribly, hatefully. And it's two different conversations. And yet when you sit down and you let go of that dissonance and you start to think about the reality that hypothetical groups don't actually exist... Except your People do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, except in your mind. You created this yeah. group. Yeah, right. You're afraid of that group usually. Well, that's why when, when I'm out and about and people are like, ask, get to the point to ask me what I am, they want me to throw a title at them. Right. At them. And I don't throw anything their way, and then they get confused or angry. Right, because they want to know where to put you. Yeah, they want to know where to put me, and I'm like, I I can't even put myself in a particular box. Right. And none of us should. Yeah, I was like, so how can I give you a title so where you could do that to me? But And none of us should. Yeah. None of us should. And, And these passages in Isaiah, just reinforcing this idea that I've been meditating on these last, you know, couple of months, because... These nations are destined for destruction. But it doesn't have to be any person in them that goes with it. The people in it are all, there's hope for each person in that nation. Should they tack tack onto that? You know, should they, and, and people 
where we have our choice sometimes is in the tiniest of things. It's in whether or not we buy into this rhetoric or whether or not we allow this fear to dictate our thoughts or whether or not we accept everything that comes in a prepackaged description of people even if we're able to question it one-on-one, -on -one, mm -hmm. the second we forget that every single individual person in that group is a one-on-one. -on -one. And unless you've sat and talked to every single individual person in that group, you, do, you can't say everyone in that group thinks. Yeah, because I've heard people say... All, a Muslim is a Muslim. They're all the same. So right. one, the jihadists and all them, they're, you know, they bloodthirsty. Yes. They think they're killing for for God, you know, but that they're all the same. And in my right. mind, I'm thinking, they all, do you know how many Muslims in this world? They oh, all no. can't be. Well, that, you know? and the Muslims who are fleeing as refugees from Syria yeah. are, are Muslims that the Muslims of ISIS are trying to kill. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they're not all on the same team. No. And and if Otherwise, we can't ISIS would be trying to kill them. Right. <laughs> they be Christians too. Yeah. Same right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well all the Christians are supporting No. Mm -hmm. No. It'd be Never. Nice if we had that one title. Christians are supposed to be followers of Christ. So if we all right are supposed to be followers of Christ, why do we need Baptists, Methodists, Catholics? Why do we need all well, of them? Why can't we all be one group? Well, and because because those things, and I I, I had gone out to lunch with uh, another female pastor, a friend of mine um, from both seminary and, um, you know, part of the denomination, and and I was kind of sharing with her what had happened this last year and she was sharing where, where her and her husband find themselves. And one of the things we were talking about is that, um, denominations have, there's been a purpose for them mm -hmm. and, and they, they serve a function mm -hmm. to some extent. However, they, they kind of, I think got away from people. And they've become about the the differences, and and I think there's a place for how do I explain this? I think it's wonderful that there are so many different places within Christianity that people can go to find a place where they feel comfortable to start their healing, to connect to God. You know, like when, when Liam was, a, was younger, um, we went and visited some friend's Presbyterian church. And he told me later, I think I like the quiet Jesus better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's up and dancing. And I was like, oh, I kind of like the loud yeah. Jesus. Okay. But it's not that either of them is a better picture of Jesus. It's that I think there's incredible grace in the fact that God allows us to connect to him in the way we need that is comfortable to us and in the place where we feel most comfortable. And he made us that way. Right. You know, he knows us. And I think that that's one of the purposes that the denominations have served. But... We actually live in a post-Christian era. 
And I think that when we allow all of those differences and where we feel most comfortable to be what define us, then on a bigger scale, we become irrelevant. If I can only be comfortable, well, first of all, if comfort is my goal, and I can only be comfortable in this little circle who all agree that this is how we see Jesus, then my Jesus is very small and rather ineffective outside of my circle. So is it that anybody has a wrong picture of Jesus or is it that he allowed us to connect to him and the aspects of him and the facets of him that we were most comfortable with? And are we now in a place where maybe if we want to continue to be relevant, we need to step out of the things that keep us apart and connect on those things that we share in common? And who, whoever said God wants us to be comfortable? Right. I don't find that passage. And how is comfort, comfort doesn't serve you in a post-Christian era. People aren't looking for comfort. They're looking for hope. They're looking for answers. They're looking for purpose. They're looking to, they're asking the question, where is God in all of this? Yes, but the question then comes back to, I, I want to ask this a different way, so let, give me a second to organize my thought because I want to ask this in a very intentionally provocative way, I'll be honest. When you're waiting 2,000 years for Messiah to return. Right. Yeah, You've got a lot of time to hyper-focus on the minutiae and pick apart the flaws with everybody else's ideas and develop arguments for why you think your position on this little issue is more important or stronger. When you're living like he could come any day, those things, it's not that they're unimportant. Right. It's the perspective. How important are they? Okay, so can I not serve at a food kitchen next to somebody who believes differently than I do about creation? Yeah. Like, does that belief about creation mean we can't serve the world together right. in a relevant way? Because that's how the church has functioned, and that's why the church, that's why Christianity in America has essentially become irrelevant. Because it is literally irrelevant. On a personal level, people still get saved. People still find hope. People still turn their lives around. People still come to God through the church. Less so than in the past. On a personal level, it's still relevant. On a global level, it's irrelevant because it's hyper-focused on what tears us apart instead of a common goal of thy kingdom come, thy will be done. 
How do we how do we partner with God in manifesting his kingdom on earth when we can't talk to each other because we disagree over other stuff? Yeah. See, that's where our enemy comes in. Yeah. That's how he distracts The us. same as we were talking about with the with the intent. Yeah. Where if we're always thinking everybody else is out to get us, yeah. it isolates. So the answer is not ever going to be by getting that group to agree with that group because those hyperbolic, hypothetical groups, those people will never come in contact with each other because they're not real. They're ideas. They're ideas somebody else has about those people. And sometimes they're ideas we want everybody to have about us. But the reality is we're not groups. We're people. And, and love crosses those barriers. That's why you have all the, the great love stories of, if you know, this person from that group, you know, the Hatfield and the McCoy who got married, the, you know, the, the, the what the ones, is it the movie that's coming out now about the first, uh, or not necessarily the first, but the, the biracial couple that changed the laws? Mr. and Mrs. Loving. Yes. That's coming out? That's coming out. Is it another one, or did I see it on? Maybe I saw it on something. It's a new one. I thought it was a new one. No, they had an old one, and they 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 Yeah, they did a remake. Yeah, yeah. We got that down there somewhere. Oh, dude, I just, I just saw something about it. That's why I'm like, either I saw it on Netflix and it's old, and they just added it, but I thought it looked new. It's a new one. Awesome, it's a new one. Yeah. Have you seen it? Awesome. Awesome. And and the because what's the thing? You can't love each other. That's not natural. You're from two different groups. That's what the judge told me. Wow. You're from two That's different like, groups. And he put God in. He said God wouldn't. Yeah, God wouldn't let people mix, from these two groups really mix, love each other. Mix them. That's what the judge if he said. Be, if he if he wanted the races to mix, then he wouldn't have created races. Is that what he said? Yeah, because so God like likes that. everyone to be the same. He wants yeah. everyone. To he doesn't like diversity at then, all. Look at the animals. Really give them. Saying to them, that's not just. That's not what you do. Yeah, that that was their famous argument. Was like God. And in response all these to that, people so that so that they could stay in their group. And in response right. to that, I say the platypus. Right, that's a crazy looking. That animal, animal and that animal will not be. That doesn't want a group. Right. Says I want to secrete my milk like sweat for my babies. You got a problem with that? You know. And I, <laughs> let's I all be platypus. Like yeah. He, in the movie, when he goes to his friend, his friend is black, and he tells his friend, you know, she's pregnant. I love her, and I want to marry her. He says. You can't marry her. The black right. dude was like, right. you know, what the? And he said, why? And he said, oh, that's just not Because you do. You just, right. <laughs> they <laughs> already mixed the races, bro. It's in our belly right now. They already yeah. mixed it. Yeah. yeah. So the races got mixed. There they are. But they but they still they just in, growing. Right? That's they right. They lived in a small town community where they didn't have those. And they, like, they went to D.C. Close with each other. They but they went to DC to get married because they couldn't right. get married there. But then when they went back, 
Yes. The state wouldn't recognize their marriage, and right. they got thrown in jail for That's living right. like they, they were married. Yeah. They went oh, yeah. to jail. Oh, yeah. They took them and put them in And then jail. they got kicked out of the county because they never returned. Because it yeah. was a white man and a black woman. Yeah. No, they wanted to be they wanted to live because their family was there and their their people that was their right their people it was their right and that's and that's the thing and that's the thing that is really I mean there's a lot I know isn't that wonderful sometimes I think names are more prophetic than and God chose those two that's right that last name that's right loving the loving I just and I think they're descriptive too and that's why because love you know, when that picture at the end of chapter 19 of the people from Assyria and the people from Egypt and the people from Israel standing as as a, a bastion of peace together. Because you came in after, Laura. Let me read this. Because it says, um, On that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. Assyria will come to Egypt and Egypt to Assyria. And Egypt will worship with Assyria. On that day, Israel will be a third partner and Egypt, with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing here on earth. Wow. Can you imagine? For Adonai Assyria has blessed him. Uh, is that prophetic or did they have This is Isaiah. Blessed be Egypt, my people, Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my heritage. That's in the future? Um, we'd have to look at, yeah, I'd have to look up and see. I mean, I think that all prophecy is a, you know, usually served a purpose there, but is always for going forward. And I think that, but I, I think that this is at the level of people. And I think that's the hope that I, that keeps me going right now in this ridiculous election season. Yeah. But I think it's also why one of the things that I have seen more than ever before is uh, spiritual leaders, Christian leaders from across denominational divides stepping up in opposition to this idea that just because someone is in exposition, it means God's blessed them. Okay. Or just because, you know, one of the people interviewed, well, you can't be, you can't be that rich and powerful without it being evidence of God blessing you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually you can. And this idea that, that we've created of, of like this Western American Jesus that doesn't fit scripture and this following of him that doesn't fit scripture and this serving him that doesn't fit scripture and this idea that one political party here on earth will represent him, which doesn't fit scripture. And yet my hope is in the fact that the church has grown the most, like the real church has grown the most in soil that's been tilled. When it's uncomfortable, it flourishes. Mm -hmm. Because when it's uncomfortable, it's relevant. Mm -hmm. When it's uncomfortable, it's because it's stepped out into a cause that God's trying to do something in. When it's uncomfortable, it's because people are interacting with people instead of talking about groups and causes and others. When you get out and get your hands dirty, 
then you're relevant. And I feel, I, I know what I have been feeling provoked by God to do towards that end. And I've talked in the last six months to more and more pastors who are finding themselves living in that tension of the reality of working with the people in their community and the conflict they're having with their denomination over what that has to look like. And more and more are saying, hey, you know, my denomination is just going to have to get on board with this because clearly this is what God's doing. And if I have to pick, I pick what God's doing. And, and I'm grateful for the people who feel called to stay in the denomination and fight within for that. And I validate those others who find themselves where I am and say, yeah, not my fight. I, got, I just got to do this. Because that's where you see God. I'm not saying God's not at district assemblies. I'm saying if you really want to see the power of God, be out there getting your hands dirty, being messy, working with people, helping people, talking to people, getting to know people, bridging those divides. And not because they're irrelevant, but because they're irrelevant to whether or not God loves somebody. There's no group that you can say, God doesn't love people in that group because they do whatever. Right. God so loved the world, and we're all part of the world, and we all need his salvation, and we all need each other. Yeah, people need to not talk, speak for God on, on that end, because people tend to do that, that rule up. And, and they will answer for that, too. I like that, that group, because, well, there's no way, you know, how you know everybody, like you said, you take people individual, mm -hmm. everybody's not. And and that's so that's what I find when I'm in conversations. When I when I'm in those political conversations now, I try to avoid them because they make me very uncomfortable. Be partly because, and and I I told this to someone that I said, you know, we need to not talk about politics. And they were like, well, why not? And I said, because I love you, <laughs> and I want to not think badly about you. Because of the things you're saying, which you're entitled to believe, but I love you. Yeah, I love you, and I want to hold on to that. That's important. I don't personally care who you vote for. I love you. And 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 I I have that opinion on all sides of the of the issue right now. You know. Because all all different people saying all different crazy things, and I'm just like, I love you. You are real. These ideas are not. Yes. And and so you know, I feel like I feel like the if we when we can focus on that love, that love bridges those barriers. You know, it it creates unity in the midst of what divides us. It brings us together. It gives us hope. And we can have different ideas about what would be best for the country or what direction the country should go. Or, you know, and that, there's a place for that. But if it's dividing you from actual community and love, then 
It's, is it serving you or are you serving it? I have a question. Yeah. Um, when Yeshua was here on earth and and he he was among the people, you know, like um, mm-hmm. all the people who the Pharisees wouldn't be around. Right, right. And the only one that he was around was the Pharisees. Is that because they were possessed by the enemy and he knew that they wouldn't change, that that, that, that was their purpose? You know, yeah. I, I actually think, I actually right. think it around. was... He didn't like Jordan. Was it like Well, I let me answer it not not directly. Okay. Okay. <laughs> One of the things that I have found myself saying a lot recently is, like I said, I, I pray for and I bless those who feel called to stay within their denominations and within their groups to try and spur them towards correcting. Their, their compass, you know, mm-hmm. on, on different areas. Um, and, and I don't, I am not anti-church mm-hmm. at all. Like I, like I would say, I believe they ser- it serves a purpose, and I believe people are still getting saved in the church, and I believe that, they're, that God is using the church. The reality is people who are going to go to church to find God or people who are comfortable having found God through church They're saved, and they're where they feel comfortable and for whatever reason aren't ready to be uncomfortable. Therefore, I have had to come to terms with the fact that they're okay, they don't need me. Okay. And I think... They're not going to grow until they're ready to, right? Right. And I think that that's more what Yeshua was doing. It's not that the Pharisees were all, I mean, not, the Pharisees were not all right. in opposition to right. him. Right. And that's, that's kind of a myth that the church has, has propagated for a long time as part of that. You know, the Pharisees mm-hmm. are the Pharisees. other, right. they're the Jewish opposition to Jesus. When really Gamaliel was like, you know what? I think we should wait and see what happens. Mm-hmm. You know, like you said, you know, with even with Paul, but also with Yeshua, yeah, if he is who he says he is, we should maybe not be in opposition. And if he isn't, it'll become obvious. That's kind of what Nicodemus was talking about. Right, right. You know, and so so it's it's one of those things. A lot of the stories are because the Pharisees go out to him. But, I mean, I love I love that the start of his public ministry is him standing up and reading it, going, these things are fulfilled. And they're like, yay! He goes, yeah, but not for you. And they're all, oh, this is for all the people you said it wasn't for. So you wouldn't take this to them. I have to. That's, what I, that's my purpose. And so it's not so much that the Pharisees were all wrong. It's that the Pharisees had missed the boat and become irrelevant for God's purposes in that day. And Yeshua did that. He, he, you know, he came to fix that, to correct that course for the kingdom. You know, you can be a Pharisee who got on board with what the kingdom was doing, or you were a Pharisee who was in opposition to what the kingdom was doing. And that's, that's kind of where I feel like we are at right now. And, and, and to, in, to some extent in every place have always been there as a kingdom. I feel like 
I feel like in America, in, in the U.S., we've had a lot longer incubation time. Mm-hmm. We've had a lot more relative comfort and peace. Mm-hmm. We've gotten a lot lazier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. You know, yeah, it's like I was like I was telling, you know, my daughter the other day, it's really hard for me when people here talk about the idea of being persecuted, sometimes because what they consider persecution is ridiculous, Mm -hmm. but more so because even when real persecution is happening, is it unfair that it's happening to them when it's been happening to people all over the world? Or is it maybe fair that now it's happening a little more here? And if we're focusing on fair, we're, I mean, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we're in the fire with the fourth person. That was their testimony. They came out of that fire and didn't smell like smoke. Mm -hmm. So... Can we turn our struggles and our challenges over to God in a way that we become more relevant because we come out of the fire? Or while we're in the fire, we're, we'll talk to other people yeah. in the fire. You know? That's why we're there. <laughs> I mean, we're there. May as well. May as well make use of the time. That's probably yeah. why he put us there. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, or like Balaam. He was, you know, he set out on that mission and he wasn't ready to deliver the message, even though he said, yeah, I'll deliver the message for whatever reason. He wasn't ready to deliver the actual full message that God was going to give him. So he had this encounter with the donkey and the angel with the sword and, and then he was ready. Yeah, his eyes was open. His eyes were open and he got ready. So do we look at the things we go through as opportunities to open our eyes and become ready to be relevant or do we complain that we're uncomfortable and we would just like to get back to being comfortable? Because, yeah, God, because that is God loves us when we're comfortable. If we're uncomfortable, God must be punishing us. So mm-hmm. let me figure out what I did wrong so I can get, get back, back to being comfortable in God's favor. Mm-hmm. And that's works. And that, that's not a thing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's been taught as a thing, but it's not a thing. <laughs> but what were you saying? Organ music came into the church because they wanted people to come to church instead of the circus. The organs were what they played at the carnivals. We have been, we have been then, that means we have been for generations using different things that work. Yes. Yes. As long as it work and it's not against what God has. Right. Well, God created the music. That's what the enemy took it in. That's what he was saying. saying. Right. Yeah, because he had a little part in his, in one of his CDs where this, 
this guy calls him across the street and say, I've been meaning to talk about you, talk to you, bruh, because you come into the church with all this devil music and blah, 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 Kirk Franklin oh, on, on his, on his CD. He has this one where he has a little skit. Yeah, yeah. And the guy's calling him from across the street. Hey, come here, brother. Come here. Let me talk to you. Let me talk to you. Because yeah, they come with this radical. They call it radical. Right, yeah. Music. I, I talked talk to a pastor of worship um, who was talking about how when he got into one church and, and he brought drums in. Yeah. And See, one of the elders was there. One of the board members was there one day. And, and he was just standing looking. So he went over, talked to him. He goes, brother, how you doing? He goes, you know the devil's in them drums. <laughs> and he said, well, that's why I intend to beat the hell out of <laughs> And I'm going to do the blessing and stop the recording, but then we can keep talking. But may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his countenance upon you and grant you peace. Amen. Amen.